Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at lighthousechurchnc.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the dream team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoyed today's message and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. Thank you for this day, and we thank you for all the incredible things that you're already doing here in this place. Father, I ask now that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Father, I pray that my lips, Lord God, and everything that I say in this room, that it would be ordained of you and aligned with your will for this house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 127, verse 1 through 5. I want to take a moment and unpack this psalm together um, because I believe there's just so much truth in this psalm that is not just for fathers, but for families as well. And it will also give you an opportunity, wives and children, to see some of the burden that we carry as men. Men, how many know that we carry a burden as the fathers of the home? How many know that we carry a burden as the providers and the protectors of our home? And in Psalm 127, we get this amazing passage of Scripture that gives us so much insight and so much truth to learn from. Now, as we unpack this psalm, I want to start off by considering who the author of Psalm 127 might be. And the reason I say might be is because there's some debate as to whether it's a song written by King Solomon or his father, King David. Now, King David is, even to this day, the most revered king of Israel. He's the most beloved. He was able to do things with the kingdom that was unprecedented. And that is because the Bible calls King David a man after God's own heart. That's a good designation, amen? To be called a man after God's own heart. There's a lot of things that you can be known for. But if someone said that Pastor Josh is a man after God's own heart, man, I take that any day. That's a pretty good association to make for a person. And so King David... Um, it, some some people think that this may have been a psalm that King David wrote to his son Solomon because of the way that it is packed together, it is counsel. It very much reads like a letter from a father to a son. But there are others, and the predominant thought is that it is actually King Solomon who wrote this letter because of the prose and the manner at which it is written. It's very much like the Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and the book of Ecclesiastes, which were also books written by King Solomon. And so many attribute uh, this psalm to King Solomon. But here's what's not debatable, you all. The, what is not debatable is the influence of this psalm. And the influence of this psalm is King David. How many know that as fathers, we have influence? As fathers, we have influence. I, I probably should have brought it in here to put it up on the screen, but there is this statistic that shows that when a child is the first person to convert to Christianity in the home, there's a small percentage of the rest of that home coming to Christ, and then it grows a little bit when the mother is the first person of the home to be converted into Christianity, and how there's a greater percentage of the family that will then convert to Christianity, and then it shows, but when the father converts to Christianity, it is overwhelmingly the majority when the father finds his faith it is it is something like uh, over 80% of the time the rest of the family will come to the faith in Jesus and that is how much influence we have as fathers and so as we read this psalm though we don't know if it was written by Solomon or David we know that there is the influence of a father all over this psalm and that's why I want to unpack this psalm together y'all ready 
So the first point that I want to make and the first thing that I would ask for you guys to write down is simply this. It is God who builds a house. It is God who builds the house. The writer said it this way, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. If you look at what, if you look at what the writer of this passage of scripture does, and again, if we're talking about writing from King David to his son Solomon, he talks about building your house, and he talks about protecting your city. He talks about a man's home, and he talks about a man's work. Solomon was the king of the city, and because the king of a nation, and because he was the king of a nation, his primary responsibility as king is to protect his people. That's what a king does. And so within the context of this psalm, that is what Solomon's job was as king. And David counsels his son and tells him, first and foremost, you've got to let the Lord build your house. He's talking about a man's home. And then secondly, he says, unless the Lord builds a city, he's talking to Solomon about his work. Now listen, if you want to mess with a man, if you ever want to get to a father, there's two quick ways to get to a father. The first is to mess with his family, and the second is to mess with his money. Amen? You mess with a man's family, or you mess with his money, you're going to get the worst of that man. It's just the way it is. If anyone was to ever attack my children, you're going to see a less sanctified version of Pastor Josh. Okay, because while I am a man of God, don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my kids, right? And how many fathers can give me a good amen on that? Should you ever mess with a man's family? You mess with a man's family, that's very personal. But a second thing is messing with a man's money. Because it is that money, that is how I then support my family. And so if you attack a man by his family, or if you attack a man by his money, you're really getting at the heart of a man. And so when we unpack Psalm 127 and look at the very first verse, what David is saying is you have got to let God build your family and let God build your money. Because there's a lot of men that would want to do it alone. And I can't tell you for the life of me why anyone would want to try and raise their children without the help of God. How many know that it's hard enough with God? Trying to do it without him, that's near impossible. That's near impossible. And so the writer tells, the writer is giving this counsel and he's saying, you have got to let God build your home and you have got to let God build your work. And it's so easy for us as men to want to take those things and own those things and not release those things. Because those are two things that we are extremely protective of, my family and my money. Those are two things that we always want to hold in tight grasp. And the writer is saying, why don't you let God build your home? And the writer is saying, why don't you let God take care of the finances that will take care of your family? You see, we want to do it alone. And isolation is a killer. How many know that isolation is a killer? How many know that trying to figure things out on your own is really shortcutting any potential experience you could have? First and foremost, through God, and secondly, through people that God will put around you. I'll never forget that the way that I got started in my career is because my father opened up a door for me. 
my father opened up a door for I, re I remember it as, as clear as can be. Um, I was working for the school district and, and, and pray for the San Diego school districts. Amen? I don't know what it is with the school districts of San Diego, but it always seems like financially they're strapped. And so I was working for the city schools for two years, not really quite in my career, but not really sure what I was going to be doing. And after two years, they started giving out pink slips. As I said, that's kind of happens in San Diego kind of often. And so as they gave out pink slips, I lost my job and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I was really young and you know how it works, seniority and totem pole, that's how the education system works. So all of the young ones, the new ones, you were the first out the door. And I'll never forget that my dad helped me get an interview at a company called Cubic, which would eventually become my career in supply chain management. But my dad told me this, he said, look, I can open up the door for you, but that's about it. After that, you are going to have to work and prove yourself. How many know that it's unwise to try to always do it yourself? You have got to first and foremost lean in on God and lean in on the relationships that he's going to put in your life. That's why I get all excited about the men hanging out this Friday because I know I have fun with it and I know I've been up here flaunting all the masculinity of throwing axes and eating steak, but behind all of that is the reality is that men, we need each other. Amen? And we need other godly men in our life because just as, a, just as iron sharpens iron, so it is when you have a brother in the faith, when you are doing life with another man, that you sharpen one another. You need someone in your life telling you, hey, man, I think you might be going off the deep end here. I think you're going in a direction that you need to change course. You might be going in a direction that I'm not sure if that's in line with God's will. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless God protects the city, it's useless. We shared this quote last week. I don't want to be, it's not about trying to get God on my side, and I'm paraphrasing. It's not about trying to get God on my side. It's about me getting on God's side because God is always right. Amen? And so when we let the Lord build our house, what we are saying is, God, I'm coming over to where you are at. And God, I'm coming over to your side. As I mentioned a minute ago, it's hard enough trying to build a house. It's hard enough trying to provide for your family apart from God. I, I, I'm with God. I'd hate to try to do it apart from God. So what does it mean to build your family on the word of God? And how do I let God build my house? There's a passage of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 6 through 7. And I think what this passage of scripture is really talking to is the intentionality of allowing God to build a house. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 6 through 7. And it says as follows. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. What the commands. They are the commands of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord had just given commands to all of his people. And as we take that and make an application, the word of the Lord is saying, you need to commit yourself wholeheartedly to the commands of the Lord. Watch this now. Repeat them again and again to your children. Fathers, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. If we were to take this scripture and apply it, what the writer is saying is we have got to be intentional in handing down a legacy of faith to our children. I'm not saying you've got to be a perfect dad, but what you do have to do is be intentional about handing down the word of God. There's a lot of things you can hand down to your kids. Amen? 
If you're a sneakerhead, you can hand down a love for sneakers. If you're a sports fanatic, you can hand down a love for sports. If you love to play basketball, that ain't my testimony, you can hand down a love for playing basketball. And what happens is oftentimes as dads, many dads like to hand down the things that we love to our kids, right? And it makes sense when you think about it. I mean, I got my boys bikes for Christmas. Why? Because I'm trying to get them to come on bike rides with me. It's a little bit of a self-serving gift, you know what I'm saying? Because I want to ride my bike, and now I don't have to do it alone. And so as fathers, we do this. And what the rider is saying is, look, if you're going to hand anything down, and all of those are good things, there's nothing wrong with handing down hobbies and handing down good things, but there's one thing that you must hand down, and that is the commands of the word of the Lord. There is nothing better that you can leave for your son or daughter than a legacy of faith. You can hand down many things, but are you handing down a legacy of faith? And it takes intentionality. It takes absolute intentionality. More and more, and my wife and I, we have these conversations. More and more, the influence of this world and the culture of this day, it is presenting things in front of our kids at a younger and younger age. There's conversations with my boys that I really did not want to have with my boys until maybe we got into junior high that the Netflix and, and YouTube, they're already trying to put that in front of my kids and I'm having to have those conversations now. And it's crazy. It is crazy the stuff that I'm having to have a conversation with my kids now about. Then I'm like, man, I really didn't want to have to talk about the birds and the bees until later. I mean, they're too young, but this stuff's in front of them, right? And so the only way we can combat that is to be more intentional, intentional about having a conversation about our faith. You have got to be first to have these conversations with your children. Because trust me, if you're not first and the world is having those conversations with your kids, they're already, you're going to have to untangle that mess. So you got to be first to those conversations. Now, maybe that means you put up a hedge around you and you're very careful about what you allow your son and daughters to see. Now I'm talking to both parents here. I know it's really easy to give them advice to get a device to get them to calm down, especially when you're trying to have a nice dinner. Guilty as charged. I'm like, take the phone, kid. Let me eat my dinner in peace. But we've got to be careful, right? And we've got to be intentional. What are we handing down intentionally to our children? Fathers, talk to your kids. Have those conversations now. And listen, I'm talking about faith. But dads, also be intentional, be intentional about teaching them how to manage their finances. Because they have got to, they better learn it from you. Have a conversation with them about it. Have a conversation about them. Um, how, how does a man treat a woman? Come on now. I mean, there is this machismo that has really sparked up over the last few years. There should have been no reason for a whole movement called Me Too to have started, except some dads never taught boys how to treat a lady. And so men started making women objects, objectifying women. And now there's a movement for women to try to get men to do something that men should have taught their kids from the beginning. We have to have these conversations now. And we have to be intentional about it. 
We need to have these conversations. Son, this is the way you treat a woman. Son, this is the way you treat another man. Son, this is the way you treat people. This is the way you talk to a person. We have got to be intentional and found it on the word of God. If I had time, I, I can't wait till September. I know I keep saying this. In September, we're doing a whole series on relationships, and it's going to be so good. I've already started studying for it because I, I know that's gonna, I'm going to have to bring some heat, y'all. Uh, but, but one of the things that, that I've been listening to and, and really trying to ingest right now is a lot of the problems that we have in this world go back to men not teaching sons how to be a man. That's just flat out how it is. And women are having to fight for a place that the Bible has already put them on. Thank you for that one clap. I'll say that again. Women are trying to fight for a position that God already placed them on. And us men aren't doing a good job of giving them their place. And so, listen, be intentional about what you're handing down. Open up the Bible and share with your son, this is what it means to be a man of God. Not a machismo, this is a man, this is what, no, 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 I'm a man of God, okay? Teach your son how to be a man of God. Model, model to your daughter, this is what a man of God looks like. So when the boys come, all right, so when the boys come, they've got a picture of what a man of God looks like already. So when, you know, I used, I'll put it this way, I used to work um, in banking for many years, and um, you know, as they go through teller training and they're starting to teach you how to um, identify counterfeit money, they never put counterfeit money in front of you. All they did was put a lot of the real thing in front of you. Because when you're surrounded with the real thing, the counterfeit is always easy to see. So when you start modeling men what a man of God looks like, when that joker comes around, your daughter will know counterfeit. That's not a man of God right there. So men, you've got to model that, all right? I just gave you some daddy. I don't got any daughters, thank God. But you know, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know how I would be with a daughter. Maybe that's why God, that's why my father, heavenly father, you know, he said, you're having boys and that's it. Second thing I want you to write down, it is God who gives us rest. It is God who gives us rest. Verse 2 says, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning till late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. You know what I love about that passage of scripture and why that follows verse 1? So just, just so, I mean, it fits like two, two puzzle pieces coming together. Because when you let God build your house, you then get to experience the rest of the Lord. You see, when you're trying to do it on your own and you can't, you will be restless. When you are trying to build your business on your own and you can't, you will be restless. When you try to do it your way, you're going to see that God's ways are better. And when you try to do it your way, you're going to find yourself dealing with a lot of anxiety because, because you're trying to do something that God is saying, let me do it for you. Let me do it for you. And you know, really, when I, talk, when, I, when I think about rest, I'm talking about now some of your unintentional time. I just talked a minute ago about being intentional. Let me talk to you about unintentional time. And you might be asking yourself, well, what, what's, what's the flip side of intentional and unintentional? Unintentional is, who are you when you are not at home? You see, because there's the version of us that our kids see when we're at home. And then hopefully that's the consistent version of you when you're not at home. Unfortunately, there's too many men that are one way at home and another way outside of home. 
So the unintentional time, and, and, and believe me, your kids will find out who you are. They'll find out who you are. So who are you when you're not at home? Who are you when you are with your friends? I'm not talking about your church friends, all right? The other guys, the other dudes, your bros, whatever you want to call them. Who are you when you are not at home? Who are you when you are with your friends? And what are you doing for rest? What are you doing for rest? So when I talk about your unintentional time, what I'm talking about are things that are not taught, but things that are caught. Unintentional time is not the things that are taught. Because how many know there's things that we say and then there's things that we do and they're not always in sync? I'm going to raise my hand, okay? Because there's been times where I've told my son one thing and my son has said, but daddy, you said. And I'm like, I know what I said. <laughs> it happens all the time, right? It happens all of the time. And our children help keep us honest. And our children help let us know about that. You see, children will model what they see. Uh, uh, children will model what they see more than what we say. Children will do more of what we do than more of what we say. We will say certain things, but if they're seeing something in contrast, they're more apt to bend the way of what they see us doing. Not what we are saying. It's what we are doing unintentionally. How many, ever, how many ever caught yourself getting ready to slip and you're like, my kid's in the room or my kid's in the car? That's a big one right there. I mean, you were about to let someone know they were number one and then you're like, wait a second. <laughs> I, got, I got my kid back there. Got to be careful with that finger. What are you doing, Dad? Nothing. I had an itch in my eye. So what are you doing with your unintentional time? I, I, like, I like to have this conversation about rhythms. What are, what are your rhythms? What, do, your, do, your, do your kids see you praying as a part of your rhythm? Because if they see mommy and daddy praying, they begin to know that that is a normal thing for mommy and daddy to do. But when mommy and daddy aren't praying at home and your kids never see you modeling a lifestyle of prayer, then they're going to think it's okay not to pray. That's just what we do when we go to church. But we don't really talk to God when we're outside of church. That's just what we do on Sundays. And so what are we doing that our children can observe? How do you respond to people? Oh, man, I'm so guilty. I'm, I'm going to confess this Sunday. I'm going to find freedom right now. That's step two of what we want for you as a church, all right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm an aggressive driver. I'm an aggressive driver. Don't leave me out here. Anyone else here an aggressive driver? Thank you. See, I'm not alone. I am not alone. I'm just kidding. So how do you respond to people? And there's been many times when, when as I drive and, and, and if people, you know, can I just be real with it? Let me just, just we're going to find freedom right now. I'm, I, I struggle with people who do not drive the speed limit. I really do. It says 50, not 35. Right? Come on, tell me I'm not alone on this. Those are the worst, you know. I can deal with someone going 55, but I can't deal with someone going 35 on a 50. That, I mean, that is bad. That is, that is, if you want to see a fire lit under Pastor Josh, drive 35 and a 50. You'll see me lose my patience real quick. But how do I respond to people? How, how does my son see me treating people? How do I treat people? How do I treat people? Because my, my kids are watching. You better believe it. They're watching. They're very observant. 
Remember how I shared with you all the story of how my kids know how to get to grandma's house? Why? Because they've been watching me take them to grandma's house. And I don't know if your kids are like my kids. My kids like to tell me what to do. My God, do they like to tell me what to do. But it's like, I'm getting ready to take them to grandma's house. They're like, Dad, turn here. I'm like, really? 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 <laughs> and they're, that way, Daddy. I'm like, I know where grandma lives, okay? Lived there for 27 years. I know how to get there. But, you know, but they're watching they're observing. This is, this is the unintentional time. And this is what I call when God is able to give you rest. Rest is knowing that you can be that same person all the time. When I am not teaching, does my life reflect my words? When I am not teaching my children, does my life actually reflect my words? That's something that we have to deal with, men. That's something that we have got to do. Proverbs 22.6, it's a very well-known passage of Scripture. I want to flip it. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm not talking about teach, because when you start talking about training someone up, how many know that we do this thing called on-the-job training? Not on-the-job teaching. On-the-job training. The Bible doesn't say teach, it says train. And train is caught, not taught. Training up a child in the way he should go is not dropping your kid off at L kids and say, teach my kid the Bible. Training up your child in the way that they should go is not just getting them to participate in youth ministry, but actually having a conversation with them. Letting them see what it is to be a man of God. Letting them see what it is to be a woman of God. Letting them see what it is all about. One of the things that just moves me so much in this church, and I've, I've talked about them, and, and is we've got these two young boys at this church, Sammy and Aaron, and they started coming to church and serving early. Why? Because they saw their dad doing it. And so every Sunday morning, and I, I'm so thankful. As a matter of fact, can we just take a moment and pause and applaud all of our, all of our dream team, portability team, the guys. I'm talking about that set of speakers and classrooms and moving chairs. Y'all are amazing. We literally could not do church without them, okay? I mean, they're just incredible and they're so selfless. But what's, what, what has really moved me is when their sons come along too because they're seeing this is what I do this is what I do on a Sunday morning we come to the house and we set the house up and I'll never forget seeing those two little junior dream teamers they went a fifth grader and a seventh grader getting up early on a Sunday morning to come prepare the house that's caught that's not taught that's caught that's not taught and the last thing that I want you to write down and I'm coming to the close is my children give me perspective my children give me perspective. The writer writes, this is so funny. You know what's so funny about this is for all of the parents that didn't get a good night's sleep last night because of your kids, the Bible says this, children are a gift from the Lord. <laughs> I know sometimes your kids don't feel like a gift, do they? Come on, mom and dad, be real. I know you're like, they're here. I can't say amen, pastor. Bible calls them a reward. And sometimes those words, gift and reward, man, they are strange to me. I'm like, a gift? A reward? I mean, a reward for what? Was I that bad? You know, like, I don't know if it's in every culture, but I know particularly in the Hispanic culture there, they tell you, like, whatever you get, that's just the Lord paying you back for what you did to your parent. Is that in all cultures? I don't know if it was just like a Hispanic thing. Is it all cultures? Okay, the devil is a liar. Um, <laughs> but how many of there are times when your kids don't feel like a gift, do they? I'm not talking about just little. Sometimes they get older, right? And, and, and so, some of you parents, 
you're like, yeah, it's I can deal with a tantrum, but you know, giving them a car and now they're taking off at night, that's a whole other level of worry. Amen, parents? Especially when they just get their license and you're just how many parents like didn't sleep? I re- I remember growing up and, and my dad's here. Can we give it up for my dad who's here in the room? <laughs> my poor dad. Uh, <laughs> four boys. I've got three, and I have my hands full. He had four. God bless him. Um, <laughs> but my, my dad would never fall asleep unless we came home, you know? And, and I'm talking about when we were old enough to drive and being out, and I remember I'd come home, and, and I, my dad would kind of come out. He'd say, Josh? I'm like, yeah, Dad, it's me. Okay, just making sure, and he'd go back to bed. And, and he would do that. So it's a different type of worry as the kids get older. I mean, right now, it's a tantrum, right? When my Jackson's not having it, that brings out a whole bunch of feelings. But I know as the kids get older, those feelings are going to change. And so this context about your kids being a gift and a reward will shift, but the principle will always remain the same, okay? And so children are a gift, and they are a reward. But I really tried to understand this because, again, I don't know if it's just one of those bad days that I had with my kids, but I was like, God, what did you really mean by this? Because, <laughs> like, they don't feel like a gift right now, and they don't feel like a reward right now. I realized that children make me a better man. My kids make me a better man. And this is not to say if you don't ever have kids, you're not going to experience this, but I can only speak from my personal experience that my children have made me a better man. My children have caused me to work harder. Because of my children, it's caused me to stay more focused. Because of my children, I now want to hand down a legacy to them. And so the perspective that I got from my kids is something that was very hard to understand before they came into my life. And so when the Bible says that they are a gift and they are a reward, I, I, I question God sometimes. Like, have you met my kids, God? I mean... Are they really a gift? I can't, I can't even do an all-call without Jackson having to fit sometimes. For some of you that are in the dream team, you know what I'm talking about. You guys want to hear a funny story? Let me, t- let me enlighten the rest of the church. If you're in the dream team, you saw. One time we were, we do this thing every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for all the people that help us um, set up and serve that day. And we have a little pre-service. So before you guys even get here, we've already sang, we've worshiped, and we take communion. One day my son Jackson wasn't having it. And I'm trying to lead the team in communion. And Jackson is running on this stage. I'm down there. And my little three-year-old just running across the stage going, ah. And I'm like, we are trying to take a holy sacrament right now, kid. We are trying to take communion. He's running through. And I literally was like, Pastor Phil, come lead this prayer while I go handle my kid. I literally did. It was one of those moments I think I'll never forget as a young pastor. I was like, Phil, take the mic. And I'm like taking off my belt. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do it. You can't do that anymore. I used to get it bad, but I, you, I just can't do that anymore. Do, do dads still whip their kids with belts? Don't answer that. <laughs> Some guys rose their hand up real quick. They were a little too proud about that. They were a little too proud. Let's give it up for the dads that don't spare the rod. <laughs> it was just one of those moments, right? And I just gave the mic over to Pastor Phil, and I took my son out, and I'm like having to just do it. You know what I'm saying? Planting a church and spanking bottoms at the same time. But I think what, what that means is really God's gift to me through my child is the gift of perspective. 
God's gift to me through my child is the gift of perspective. I'll never forget um, my sister-in-law. She gave me this amazing picture frame. It literally made me cry of my son, Jaden, when he was just a baby. And it says, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I got the gist of it. I try to teach my sons all about life, but my sons teach me what life is all about. You guys seen that one? I think they sell it at Kirkland's. It's beautiful. Get one. <laughs> you know, it's like we try to teach our kids what li- um, all about life, and our kids teach us what life is really all about. And, and, and I think that through my kids, what I've gotten is really that perspective. They've taught me to see things through the angle and the lens that I really should be seeing it through. And so when God says that your, your son or daughters are a gift, what he's giving you is the gift of perspective. And how many know that we need that gift? We need that gift. We do. I, I kid you not, when my wife and I, this, we're just spilling all the secrets today. I hope you guys are entertained. Come on. When my, we, we were going to wait, ten, we were going to wait five years and then we're going to start having kids right after we got married. We were married really young. Um, and, um, we were going to wait five years. We got to five and we're like, nah, this party's way too good. I mean, we can get up and go. I mean, like when you're young and you're married, you live like one and a half person. You don't really live like two people. It's like one and a half and your money just seems to go a little further. So we would just get up and go. Remember that baby? We just get up and go. And if we want, if we felt like leaving town for the weekend, we'd go. If we felt like going to New York, we went to New York. If we felt like going to Mexico, we'd go to Mexico. We got to get up and go. So when we got to the five-year mark, I looked at her like, we're going to have kids now? She's like, no, we're going to wait another five years. So I was all on board, you know, fist bump. I'm like, yeah, we're going 10, you know, because this is too good. And then I'll never forget going to work and my wife calling me crying and I thought someone died. I mean, she was bawling her eyes out and it's because she found out that she was pregnant with Jaden and she was bawling. And I remember comforting her, consoling her, guys. I'm not, not celebrating, all right? Nor you, you're supposed to be happy when you find out that the kid is coming. For us, it was like death. We were planning the funeral. It was like, oh, my God, the party's over. Like, the fun is over. This is it. We can't, we can't get up and go anymore. That's our testimony. Anyone else like that? <laughs> was that you too good? I'm not alone. Don't make me feel like a bad parent up here, okay? But it was like, oh, the fun is over, you know? And, um, and, and, but, but really, once that, once that little Jaden boy came into our lives, he really did give us perspective. And he gave me a lens that I never had before. And I believe that's why God calls them a gift. And it says this in the scriptures. It says that children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward from him. Children born to young men are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is a man whose quiver is full of them. But this passage of scripture right here, this, this scripture, always, it always jumped out at me. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. And I, I, I found myself studying that. Because it's interesting, right? He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. As I studied that passage, I began to understand what it means. And what it literally means is if a father is ever being accused, the reason it puts this passage of scripture right there with that is that if a father is ever being accused, and if everyone is ever coming after a father, because he has raised his children well, they will come behind him and they'll come behind his side. And they will fight for their father. You see how this goes full circle from Psalm 27, verse 1 to the very last verse? Let God build. Let God build. Let, and it says, and if you do this all right, parents, when you get older, your children will come and take care of you. That's what that passage of Scripture is talking about. If you're ever in trouble, it's your children that are going to come alongside you, and they're going to come and be there for you. If you get this right, and that's the big if, guys. 
Man, that's the big if right there. Because if you don't get this right, you might find yourself getting to a point where you've got no one to care for you. You might find yourself at a place where there's no one there by your side, walking with you, helping you through the later stages of life. Um, I'm observing this. I'm 38 years old, and I've lived long enough to uh, see some things. And the thing that I'm seeing now is I, I, I'm watching how my dad takes care of my grandma, his mom. And it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, my, my dad's story, I hope, I hope it's not too personal, but my dad's story is that my grandfather, his dad died when he was 35 years old. I've never met my grandfather from my dad's side. And my grandma, she had seven kids that she raised as a widow all alone, all alone. And my dad was the oldest of seven kids. And, um, it's beautiful to see now how the kids that she took care of are now taking care of her. Because my grandma put the word of God inside of all of them. And she did it right. And, you know, grandma, she can't drive anymore. Um, I don't know. Anyone else got a grandma like that where they just had to take the license away? I mean, she was a liability on the road. <laughs> that was grandma. She hit a parked car. I was like, grandma, you're done. <laughs> you are so done. Um, but it's beautiful now to watch how now the children are taking care of her. That's the legacy that you get when you do things the right way. That, that, that's what you inherit when you do things the right way. And so I'm going to pray for all the dads in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to read this last passage of Scripture. It's not on the screen. So I'm going to read it to you. Because I preached to you Psalm 127. And I bet you Psalm 127 is going to be preached in hundreds of thousands of pulpits throughout this country today. Because this is just a great Father's Day passage to preach from. But can I read Psalm 128 to you? Let me read Psalm 128 to you. Just listen. It's not long. Let me just read it to you because it complements 127. It continues 127. It gives you a hope of what to look forward to if you do it right, man. How joyful are those who fear the Lord who always enjoy his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. How many you ever seen kids sit around your table and you just look at them like, man, this is, this, is, this is crazy. These are mine. I see that every morning. I told you all, I'm amazing at making cereal. I'm one of the best in the world, okay? I make some good cereal. My kid, that's all that kids want every morning. I must make it that good. Dad joke. Anyway, this is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 127 talks about let God build it. Let God do it. Be intentional, but also watch your unintentional time. Understand that if you do this right, your children will always be there for you. And then Psalm 128 comes, and here's the kicker. And all you grandparents, you already know about this. Psalm 128 says, look, not only when you do this right... Are you going to enjoy your children as they get older? But they're going to come around with grandkids. Now, I've heard the grandkids are actually better than kids. Any, can I get an amen from the grandparents in the room? All right. I heard one pastor say it this way. The reason that the grandparents and the grandkids get along so well is they both have a common enemy. <laughs> Psalm 128 gives us, you get that? It's good, huh? <laughs> 
Psalm 128 gives us this promise that, look, we got a job to do. But man, when we do it right, there's so much blessing that comes with it. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.